Oh, hi. Hi. Got Legends of Zelda song stuck in my head. Yeah? How does yeah. the Legends of Zelda song go again? Bum, 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 bum. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to the Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. It's Wednesday, September 2nd. This is issue number 26. Hello, Dave. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, uh, it's, uh, For- Force Friday's already started their, their live stream, so I'm in Star Wars territory. Big week for Star Wars, gonna spend the weekend speed reading a novel, you know, super fun. Do you have the Force Friday stream, like, up on one screen? Are you, are you, like, half watching it while we're talking? Uh, I probably shouldn't be because I'm recording this and it's taking up bandwidth. I'm closing it, <laughs> but right now they are doing a sort of retrospective of Rebel Season 1, which came out on <laughs> Blu-ray today. Okay, uh, you're closing it. There we go. It's closed. Oh, uh, wait. Now there's a window for pre-ordering the EA Battlefront game. All right, close that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Okay. I didn't, I didn't mean to call you out. I didn't mean to call you out. Well, you know, um, now I'm entirely focused on not Star Wars. <laughs> well, I do have a question for you about that, actually, really quickly. It's Wednesday. Why is it Force Friday? Because they're being released on Friday? Uh, they are having this uh, worldwide event uh, that where they're having unboxings of toys yeah, and sort of like content promoting Star Wars in between it, and that started um, a few hours ago, and it's right. going to go up until Thursday at midnight, which then it becomes Force Friday, and so it starts somewhere in Australia, and it like traces around, and then it ends in Los Angeles tomorrow at midnight. Wow! All right, all right. Um, we don't have anything. Oh, unless you want to talk about the Star Wars comics. No, no, no. All right. it's no. there'll there'll be a time for that. I think like a time and a place. I think maybe Volume One of Darth Vader might be concluded and might be out because I saw some tweets about that, and I do recommend that. But otherwise, we don't need to talk about the Star Wars comics yet. Um, okay, <clears throat> then I will talk about what I have been reading this past week. Um, I went to a great. Two weeks. Uh, it's been two weeks. Two, two whole weeks. I went to a great event last week at uh, Blue Moon Comics, which is my local comic shop and um, owned by my friend Sam. And it's a great, great shop. And there was actually a live podcast going on there um, about comic books, which I think is called (laughs) Under the Covers, Between the Covers, something like that. Um, It was really great. They were talking about uh, Why the Last Man and a couple, couple other comics. But anyway, point being, Sam loaded me up with a bunch of comics. Um, and the one that he gave me that I want to talk about briefly is called Velvet, which a couple other listeners actually recommended I read as well. And it's sort of like a, 
I mean, the way someone described it is, you know, what if Monty Penny, I don't know, were a secret agent, which she is in the new Bond movies. But, um, yeah, it's, I only read the first issue. It's a lot of backstory, but it's, you know, basically about this woman who's a secretary in a, in a spy network, uh, except it turns out she's not, she's a trade assassin and it's set uh in the 80s i believe and it, and it's beautifully drawn and i mean it's a lot of setup as as most first issues are so it's hard to know but but i'm definitely intrigued and uh that reminds me that i also read a black widow a bunch of the black widow recent black widow comic that i think came out in 2014 and that one i think it's also beautifully drawn it's a similar thing you've got you know spy lady kicking ass who we all know and love with red hair but it's got a lot of voiceover, so does Velvet, a lot, a lot of narration, and that's not my favorite kind of comic, is a lot of heavy reliance on, on narration. Um, I also read Gotham Academy, which I absolutely loved, it's really cute, uh, Harry Potter meets Batman, it's great, uh, Squirrel Girl, which you, on your recommendation, Dave, which is amazing, so, so, so cute. These are a lot of cute, really, like, charming comics that I read this last week. Um, Over the Garden Wall, which is also really fun, um, based off a cartoon that Dave and I really, really liked. And New Archie, which I'm ending with because I know Dave also read it, so I was hoping we could talk about it together a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, Mark Wade and Fiona Staples, yeah, Staples. Uh, yeah. Archie, which they both managed to uh, make amazing, especially for somebody who's like, I'm aware of Archie and like the the gay Archie character shoot off is really interesting because it exists in like the old or I'm not, I'm not talking about the current, they rebooted it, but like a, a couple of years ago I got back on the Archie train to, you know, check out what was happening leading up to his like death, which was rumored and then actually happened, which seemed weird. Um, but you know, Archie's an interesting world in the sense that it like sticks around and becomes a mainstay and therefore can address certain issues from a really interesting perspective of something that's existed for that long. It's hard to, I don't know, sort of put that in other contexts outside of superheroes, but Archie is definitely the like romance equivalent or uh, I mean, everyday teen equivalent. It's crazy how much juice they've gotten out of like one love triangle. <laughs> right. One and, love triangle for what, like fifty years? I don't know how long Archie's been running, but and they did sort of like break it off into like Archie after death and weird stuff yeah. after it. And now they they came back with this reboot, and it's the same dynamics, but with like a modern upgrade. And I just found it delightful. The same it thing that made me so like, good. Uh, Mark Wade's run on Daredevil, where it's a, he just made it light and bouncy. And this one sort of messes around with direct address, which is sweet. Uh, and it's like something that finally, I don't know, Archie comics look like they're going to make great use of. And it works really well to set up some sort of hangouty vibe that sets the stakes really well, where you kind of feel like all these people are your friends, which you know isn't something that old Archie used to do for me. Or maybe it's this art that really helps contribute it, uh, where it's like doesn't look like classic Archie, and therefore the whole thing doesn't feel like classic Archie, but it is. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. And I mean, the characters are recognizable, but updated. I read a lot of Archie, uh, actually, when I was a kid, and I had forgotten how much I read until I picked up new Archie. Because I was reading it, I was like, oh, I know Midge. Oh, I know Moose. Oh, I know Reggie. I was like, oh, oh, God, I read so much Archie, and it all came flooding back to me. Um, but but yeah, you're right. The art is a big big part of it fiona staples you know who does saga has such a way with facial expression which eludes a lot of comic book artists there's a one you know three panels that were my favorite example of this where archie's yeah direct addressing you know the reader basically so he's looking at the reader and talking to them and then betty's behind him and he's talking about how they can't talk to each other right now because of this lipstick incident thing and that's a whole mystery or whatever. But you just see Betty like walk up behind him, look like she wants to talk to him, lose her courage, and then walk away. And the expression on her face in this silent pantomime that's happening in the background of him directly addressing the reader is is perfect. And it's a little moment that doesn't really mean anything except it establishes these characters so perfectly. Uh, and that's you know one of Fiona's huge gifts. Um, I loved it. Very charming. Yeah. Really liked it. And it doesn't rely on you knowing Archie to the point that, like, it sort of winks until, I think, the last panel where, you know, it's thrilling if you know exactly where it's going because you got to know the love triangle's coming. Right. But if you don't know, like, the, I don't know, Lodge family. Anyway, not important, but completely, uh, I don't know, the panel where they're all coming out of like a movie or a play or something and all the dialogues or star ratings of what they just saw was a concept that I was like, yes, if it could just do uh, the love triangle and modern teenage life through like uh, the occasional emoji speak and direct address, if this could be like an Archie Ferris Bueller love triangle like arc, I'll like follow it for like five or six years before they have to even do anything different. than what. Oh yeah, Jughead is definitely Alan Ruck and (laughs) he's great. I love new Jughead. He's really great. So yeah, new, new Archie. Uh, I thought isn't exactly where our overlap ends because I picked up Rat Queens uh, yes, Volume 1 yes. finally. Hooray! Which, yeah, which is great. Um, I know you talked about it previously and we've had some response to other people picking it up and enjoying it. But so enjoyable just right out of the gate and uh, able to form, I guess, it really reminds me, uh, there's a character in uh, my... Uh, Dungeon and Dragons t- group that's sort of like the smidgen character. What's her name? Blue? Bug? Oh, they call I call her Bug her. all the time. The short yeah. one. Yeah. There, yeah. There's like a character in my Dungeons and Dragons campaign that's like that. Um, <laughs> so it was like so hilarious to instantly recognize like the mechanics behind it, which like sometimes if I get dropped into a fantasy narrative, I spend way too much time trying to world build in my head. This one just like took off with its characters and uh, storyline and everybody has a backstory, but like we'll get to it. It's basically like a D&D premise of an adventuring group. And then, yeah, it went in the, directly into the, the intrigue. I uh, enjoyed the crap out of it. And then, you know, like, well-rounded, uh, not gender-specific characters, which is good, but I think, like, all of comics should be more like Rat Queens. Not necessarily because of those two things, but, yeah, so good. No, definitely. I mean, I think um, the approach to gender here is so interesting because, like, I don't know. It just It just feels like it doesn't matter. You know, like, some books with a strong female character, you just feel like, honestly... 
I say this from the bottom of my feminist heart. You feel like you're being hit over the head with like, I'm a gritty, strong female character. And these just just feel like humans, even though they're not humans. They're like elves and dwarves and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, they just feel like people. And that's the goal. That's the idea, right? Just to feel like people. Um and and especially to 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 have these characters that you can relate to, you know, characters who drink too much or you know sleep around or or whatever. Um, these realistic characters thrust into this like uber heroic setting of the Dungeons and Dragons, Lord of the Rings type of conflict is is so fun and funny and great. So yeah, yeah. it like doesn't need much more than that basic adventure prompt and premise, and it just grows exponentially. Sort of like lumberjanes in the sense that you're suddenly in, inhabiting a world of friends and you sort of get a feel for the universe but unlike lumberjanes uh, the art in this book when it gets to be super violent is really stunning um, not that lumberjanes is bad but that's not it's like selling point is its violence here it's like the blood spray and uh, the you know when they get angry and stab people in the eyes with wands uh, <laughs> Yeah. The page layouts and whatnot uh, are get really cool. Anyway, um, and there's a spin. There's the like the one off uh, that I'm excited for you to read, and then volume two. Man, I'm so happy you're reading Rat, Rat Queens. Yeah, it's they're sweet. Really More things to read, but that means <laughs> as long as they're all enjoyable, I don't mind spreading them all out. Uh, what else did I read? Um, Batgirl volume one. I finally got to the one after the New Fifty Two, where she spends a lot of time. Uh, responding to the trauma of being shot during the events of uh, The Killing Joke. So that's why I thought it would be a good time for me to uh, revisit it. Totally enjoyable as well, but I think I'm like behind the ball on that one. Uh, the current run of Batgirl apparently is really good too and a much better jumping on point. But if you were uh, asking me to read Batgirl Volume 1, I did and I enjoyed it and I get it. I get it now, I guess. But uh, th- this was like, I, I guess, okay, wait, no. Let me say what I, when I say I get it, that's completely not vague. If you listen to our episode on The Killing Joke, I talk about how Barbara Gordon's character was sort of like honored after she was shot. To me, that was always Oracle because that was the stuff that I had read. It's nice to see her re-honored after they kind of rebooted the continuity without a lot of that happening. Uh, so you immediately get to see her out of the wheelchair and see her dad tell her she might be taking it a little bit too hard and uh, see her freeze up getting a gun pointed at her. Uh, So, you know, it's a good way to deal with trauma in the superhero universe that they skipped over by making her Oracle. But I think that Oracle handled that in a different but equally good way for its time. But I get now why current Batgirl is better, if that makes any sense. Yes, Dave. Respond. Yes, Dave. Thank you. (laughs) Um... Bombshells. (laughs) Bombshells. <laughs> well, no, I was just thinking about how I'm really excited for us to talk about this Gotham. More excited for us to talk about this Gotham clip next. I mean, after, I want to hear the rest of what you have to say. I'm really interested in the Barbara you're reading on the page and the Barbara that's happening in Gotham now, I guess. Anyway, we'll get to that. I'm sorry. Sounds, sounds good. Uh, Bombshells, DC series that is written by Need to Look at an actual issue of it, which is difficult because it's digital only, which is really cool but makes, like, scrolling through pages. Uh, Marguerite Bennett, and is drawn by Marguerite, oh, man, Salvage? S-A-U-V-A-G-E, Salvage? Yes, mm-hmm. we're going to go with that. Yeah. 
Um, it's based on the maquettes series of uh, DC heroes from like a alternate World War II timeline. Uh, I'm only through like issue five. I think they're only through that, and they're still sort of introducing the characters. Uh, but I've, we've gotten through Supergirl and like a Aqua Woman and. Batgirl who plays baseball and uh, Wonder Woman, so it's uh, it's gonna be it's shaping up pretty sweet. I'm interested to see what they're building towards. If we're getting to like I don't know a major female villain reveal, uh, because right now it sort of looks like there's gonna be a war effort going on. But hey, I'd also be down for like some crazy Nazi whooping or something. <laughs> uh, it, the Sometimes the art can be a little confusing because they're dealing with like um I is don't that know. a pinup art, right? I mean even in Or the, that is that just the covers? That's just the covers. Uh oh, okay. the interior art just in terms of uh the sequence of events. I mean I'm also it's a digital only release. They do release uh physical versions, but I don't know if they're like made landscape or whatnot. But it's a different, you know, cropping of the frame. So, you know, sometimes I don't know if I'm going in like a clockwise circle or if I'm just moving across from left to right. But, you know, that's probably me having to adapt to the book. And when I sit down and read them all in one go, I'm sure it'll all be clear. Uh, But, yeah, if I have one complaint about digital-only comics, it's that I've spent so much of my life learning how to read that. It's sort of like why it's hard for me to pick pick up, uh, like, old manga books because they do read, you know, right to left. And, you know, like, you start losing where you are in the page and the story. Anyway, digital comics, Dave went on a rant. Uh, el- elsewhere reading. <laughs> uh, no, I've had that happen where I'm reading, so, you know, I'm reading something on, on the iPad, and then all of a sudden I realize, yeah, it's a landscape page. And I'm like, oh, oh, shit. You know, like, you get disoriented, and then all of a sudden you start to try to turn the page, and it just keeps sliding, and you're like, oh, it's a landscape page. There should be some sort of indication right i mean i don't want to sound too like privileged (laughs) like to be like they should really warn us when they're gonna do that but you know it's it's uh it's not intuitive it's a thing that needs fixing if digital comics are to go forward yeah right uh maybe i mean i'm talking about like native digital comics that are like they know they're in a landscape format to begin with yeah. I'm saying that, like, maybe it's me or maybe the panels are set up in a weird way that isn't, you know, flowing correctly. I don't want to make it the artist's fault because I have no idea. I want to say that I don't read enough digital comics to be used to it. It's like this, Batman 66, X-Men 92. They're sort of all based on retro things. I guess I only read retro digital comics. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I'm not blaming. I'm not trying to blame the artist. I'm trying to blame, like the formatters like the the digit like something with the interface needs to change not that the art needs to adapt to my digital reading oh for like digitized versions if when you're like doing the guided view or whatnot well not even the guided view um i I don't know how to explain it so we could probably just roll on um but yeah yeah. it's interesting to see how it's gonna change but I, i have also run across times where i've bought like you know, Infinity, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths to, like, reread, and, like, the splash pages are just murdered because it's, you know, an iPad. And I'm like, oh, I wish I'd bought this physically, but also that means I have to get up and go outside, which I didn't (laughs) have time to because I was reading things like Planetary, which is Uh the Warren Ellis, John Cassidy, our listener Pat has been on me to read it. It is On us. On us. It is, um... 
like a group of three, I'm going to say immortal. It's a lot like uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen from Alan Moore, but it's like three immortals who are sort of based, we sort of like focus around a hero, Jack Frost character, but there's also like a super strong woman and a guy who communicates, basically communicates really well with technology. Um, and they are finding out the secret history of Earth. So each issue sort of is based around a different uh, fantasy sci-fi concept. Uh, Issue two is about the island of the monsters off Japan, and you see carcasses that are obviously like Mothra and Godzilla, and they don't say anything like, here's Godzilla, but they give like a history to why this island actually existed, and it was a result of like nuclear war, and then you realize you're in like an alternate history, but like the next issue, they're in Hong Kong fighting like a ghost uh, cop that is like out of a John Woo movie. So it kind of goes all over the place. It's telling an arch story about a multiverse that's shaped like a snowflake, but I haven't really uh, narrowed down what that is yet, only being through the first volume. But there are several more volumes to go, and it's complete. So it's one of those things that I feel like I have to digest uh, completely before I really know where it's going. But individually, Mm -hmm. the issues are really fun in terms of figuring out uh, why or what they're referencing and uh, what they're ironically playing off of in the same way that uh, Alan Moore's uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen does, which I also reread volume three century because I bought it in hardcover because I found a hardcover edition that was like beautifully printed. I'm like, all right, time to spend some money. So I did. And it joined the other uh, print editions of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen I have on my uh, set. I still need the Nemo books, but I'm almost all the way there. But uh, yeah, I like that kind of, uh, I guess, meta-textual literature or alternate histories, where it's like the same way uh, New Archie kind of gives a thrill to people that have, you know, know the Archie universe, uh, seeing new characters uh, recognized. This is sort of the same thing, uh, recognizing a reference that's in the art. But they're telling a greater storytelling about multiverse and fate and, you know, whatnot. I, I haven't seen enough of the whole picture to rule on that. But each individual issue, really fun. is like an Easter egg hunt or like a what would happen if the Fantastic Four were, like, evil, which is one <laughs> issue, which is kind of cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, okay. So that covered uh, Century. I'm reading a book called Dr. Seuss Goes to War that is his World War II cartoons. Uh, really interesting. Uh, not so much rhyming, but stylistically seeing him come across things like uh, sort of characterizing uh, Uncle Sam over and over again, and then as a bird, and then he sort of gets like recharacterizes more cartoon bird, and his hat becomes more stovepipe, and then he basically becomes the Cat in the Hat. And you're like, is the Cat in the Hat America? <laughs> like, you want to read the Cat in the Hat again? So that's been interesting in terms of tracking an artist. It doesn't do a lot of rhyming, uh, a lot of like traditionally or what traditional like portraits of uh, political cartooning. So like a lot of stuff we would deem racist, totally all over this book, but fascinating. Um, Marvel wise, uh, I've been reading uh, Planet Hulk, 1872. And Amazing Spider-Man Renew Your Vows that I would recommend because those have all uh, developed into interesting stories. I think I've touched on each of them before. And then there was a one-off called Secret Wars Secret Love, which ended up being amazing. Uh, It's like three short stories, uh, like romance stories, 
Um, one especially impactful one is with uh, Misty Knight and Luke Cage, who are married. And uh, sorry, Misty Knight and Danny Rand, Iron Fist, who are married. I was about to say. Yeah. But Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, who are also married, uh, make a cameo because they're babysitting the nice. kids so they could have like a night in. And it's a really touching portrayal of they try to go on a date night, but then they realize they're forcing it. And then they come to a realization that they just need to remember the things that made each other attractive in the first place after like having kids and have been together for a while. And it's really sweet. Uh, there's also a good one about a short about a squirrel girl winning a date uh, with uh, Thor at like a auction. Uh, that is adorable. She immediately like rips off the front of his shirt to see his abs. And there's one panel <laughs> of like everybody dancing that is specifically like uh, the gay couples of Marvel. So it's pretty sweet. Uh, Squirrel Girl is so cute. And can I just say as a quick sidebar, it's so weird to me that I my introduction to Galactus is uh-huh. via Squirrel Girl. <laughs> That I like, I'm aware that Galactus is, is like this big comic book villain, but I met him in Squirrel Girl. <laughs> and uh, the conceit that they have in that comic of um, Deadpool sort of like introducing you to all the characters that you should know if you have read a bunch of comic books mm-hmm. um, is really ingenious. Anyway, so. Go ahead. That was my Squirrel Girl sidebar. No, Squirrel Girl's great and continues to be great. I think it's through like eight or nine issues now. And I I think she's going to come out on the other end of uh, Secret Wars. Oh, okay. So that's good. Good for her. Um, uh, Yeah, I think Secret Wars might come up later in the podcast if we get there. But it's also not complete. So I don't know if I should make a ruling on it. But I'm monitoring Secret Wars. And I think... Mike Ryan wrote a piece on it for Uproxx, but it is really enjoyable in terms of like a crossover event that could mean nothing, but feels like it means something. Mm-hmm. Like if you have been following Fantastic Four uh, for a while, um, basically since Jonathan Hickman took over, it is like peak Doctor Doom and Reed Richards. Like they've literally destroyed both Marvel universes and like sort of made it all about them. <laughs> and it is like uh in terms of long form storytelling in comics it's kind of amazing that uh Jonathan Hickman's kept it up but he's apparently kept it up so much and it's so big that they added another issue on so the event's going to go on longer and uh, that usually means when Marvel does this that uh, some of the side connection books, if they quote-unquote spoil anything, will also get delayed. This is what made Civil War draw on forever. Mm. So it might be a little further into the fall before the new Marvel pops in and we know what books are sticking around. All right. So that's what we're reading, yeah. folks. Uh, it's a lot. We've been gone for two weeks. Uh, the, uh, so, Summer so I do. TV's also over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, did it ever really start? Anyway, um, I oh, want you to t- Hannibal, True Detective season two, disliking person. You, I don't dislike Hannibal. I just didn't watch it. Doesn't mean I dislike it. I just didn't watch it this season. I will. I have thus far successfully ducked almost all finale spoilers, which is incredible because they keep flying fast and furious around me. But so button it and we will move on to Gotham, which is a fall show. Um, the question I posed a couple weeks back is, is Gotham season two worth giving, you know, another look? 
and oh, um, corrections harvey dent was in season one right yes so the first thing yeah i was gonna say is that you know we had asked whether or not harvey dent was in season one neither of us knew a bunch of our listeners said yes and that his introduction was as ham-fisted and painful as we thought it might be maybe not uh quite as punny but you know he flips a coin his face is in shadow you know some stuff like that anyway but i mean okay so i watched this clip where Barbara Gordon and Jerome, who is the Joker, are in jail in, in Arkham Asylum, I guess, probably uh, together. And, uh, you know, there I read some uh, the site that I saw it posted on had some comments, you know, so there's just some background info on, you know, Barbara, I guess, was like driven insane or I, I don't quite know why she's in jail. But evil Barbara or criminal Barbara or insane Barbara, however you want to put it, is really fun. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons I was interested in in watching Gotham in season two was that the kid from Shameless, who they have playing Jerome the Joker, um, I really love that kid. And um, he was great in this clip. This clip was really enjoyable. Now it's just a clip. Okay, so whatever. But it seemed like Gotham found, at least in this context, Gotham found the really campy vibe that it should have. It should be like Adam West Batman, if that's what they're going for. And I feel like what really bummed me out in season one is that they were trying to combine some of that camp with, uh, you know, the grit of the Dark Knight in a way that just did not work at all. But if they just go full camp... I mean, I could I could be well into that. So that that's my assessment. And then I watched, you know, the trailer of like, you know, Villains Rising or whatever they're calling this season. And it also looked kind of good to me. So I'm I'm intrigued, to say the least. Dave? I, hey, if, I mean. I can be your canary in this coal mine. If you, if you, want. If you want a canary uh, Gotham season two, then please do because I would love for, I mean, we talked a little bit about ways that I would love for it to be, you know, sort of about like echoes of what Gotham creates as a city and they could still go in that direction or at least uh, go in the direction you're talking about and embrace their campiness. Either one would be worthwhile. And I think the flashes of fun that I had with like the three episodes I watched were, was when I embraced one of those directions. I mean, everyone, I think the, what people, okay, what the writers might be responding to if they are indeed responding to audience reaction is that everyone's favorite part of the first season was uh, the penguin, right? And so if they're like, okay, you know, this guy's doing some real fun over the top shit. Let's just dial that up to 11 for season two. Um, you know, that might be interesting. I worry that you know, whatever it is, um, you know, the, the cops, <laughs> the central premise of, of Gotham, whatever it is they have to do, like, I don't know how they're going to match that vibe at all. So once again, we might just get jangling tones. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, there was but- a way to deal with a villain who tied balloons to people and made them float away that, you know, was hit that balance. And maybe if it was like a outsized supervillain, and that would be it. But like I don't, I don't know. 
Uh, I don't, I don't, you, you go down in that coal mine. I'll go down in that coal mine for you. Okay. All right. Um, Okay. Speaking of camp, we did want to address something we talked about two weeks ago, which is this story that Michael Shannon told a reporter about getting locked in a porta potty because he had flippers on his hands on the set of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. We might have talked about that. Yeah. In the spoiler section. Okay. We might have talked about the spoiler section. I think it's safe to right here talk. Just say that Michael Shannon made that whole thing up and he wasn't even on the set, uh, so he claims. Though, I mean, we see his body in the trailer. Do you feel like that's just a model or do you feel like Michael Shannon was there for a day with, you know, dead-looking powder on his face? Is Michael Shannon still lying Yes, is the question. Yes, he is. Well, he he's he's uh, <laughs> he's throwing he's throwing dirt up in the air. All right, uh, and he also he also conceal his <laughs> runaway. He also <laughs> he also said something else uh, that confirms what Dave said in the spoiler section two weeks ago. So if you want to go back and listen to that, uh, Dave was right as he usually is. So hey, well, hey, hey. let's not make that promise. But I was right. <laughs> um, all right, so we're gonna we're gonna flip back over to Marvel, which is like it, to talk about. I'm going to go ahead and say the biggest comic book related news of the week. Um, we got asked in an email from Sterling from Los Angeles and he said, hello, Joanna, and Dave, I've been a big fan of thought bubble storm spoilers and a few other podcasts you guys host. Thanks Sterling with uh, Kevin Feige reporting directly to Disney's Bob Iger and Alan Fine going forward. Many of us are hopeful that many of the changes coming to the MCU will be for the better. My only question is how does this affect, um, Marvel television, specifically the upcoming Netflix series. I read that Jeff Loeb, head of Marvel TV, is still loyal to Ike Perlmutter. Should we be concerned that the Netflix shows will move completely away from the movie universe now? Um, I think this is a really interesting question, and a couple people asked me this on Twitter. To recap briefly, Ike Perlmutter, who was who is the CEO of Marvel, um, who came in and rescued them in the late 90s when they were bankrupt, um, is an eccentric fellow. And uh, may or may not have been the cause of some of these like cracks and problems uh, in the in the Marvel infrastructure, uh, Marvel Cinematic infrastructure. So now, Ike Perlmutter will no longer have control of any of the Marvel studios, movie studios, um, productions. And also out with Ike Perlmutter is something called the Creative Committee, um, which involved um, at least one you know, executive who came along. I thought that was Alan Fine who came along with Perlmutter, but also Brian Michael Bendis and a couple other people. Um, and according to a report on birth, death movies, um, slash heroic Hollywood, um, the creative committee, uh, could possibly be blamed. Maybe if you want to believe rumors for the departure of Edgar Wright, and Ike Perlmutter could possibly, maybe, if you want to believe rumors, be blamed for the fact that there were no Black Widow merchandise and also uh, is probably a racist. So could maybe be behind some of the diversity issues at Marvel. Maybe. We like have no real concrete way of knowing, but maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean. Right? Pro- I, po- probably. I think probably. everything you said, including the maybes and probabilities, and if you believe what you hear is, is correct. I would just say that the industry has changed so much since he was the person that 
bought out with Toy Biz and Aviar had bought out Marvel and saved them from bankruptcy. That like that's the type of person that you need to like turn a company like Marvel around. So it's like everything that Marvel is is the result of like putting their creatives first, but is also the result of doing business the way they did, which allowed them to have like some sort of creative unity. And the whole fact that there can be like phases of Marvel movies is because there was a central committee of people. And that's what's being replicated now in, uh, you know, Transformers and uh, basically anytime you want a franchise, you want right. we people keep around hearing Star these, Wars. These think tanks, right? Yeah. These. Right. We just have a whole bunch of people whose job it is uh, to know, you know, all the Marvel characters, or in this case, you know, you have Bendis who rewrote a whole bunch of the Ultimate Universe with Mark Miller, and they probably had input from Mark Miller at some point, but he's like not super Marvel. Uh, Joe Quesada, who used to be like editor in chief, and I think the chief operating officer as well was also on. So that's basically all the people that you would need to have a controlled launch of something uh, across all your brand. And that's what made the Marvel, you know, machine unique. It's just outgrown that. So we don't want to, like, excuse Ike Perlmutter, but it's like without him being a stingy old school guy who like you know came as an immigrant with nothing who like sold his way up the ladder um you know he was never meant to be the guy deciding you know what was in comics and what was in movies and thus far he looks like he hired people to decide that for them and he sort of just used the purse strings but yeah he was not the best person person yeah, I mean, some of his eccentricities. I mean, exactly. If you if you're okay, if you're gonna come and rescue a company from bankruptcy, um, and let's say you're a frugal person anyway, like, yeah, you're gonna lean frugal. I promoter leaned very hard frugal apparently, but I mean, I don't know if he if he's like, hey, you reuse your pencils, or hey, I'm gonna tear up this paper and now it's my new memo pad. Like I find that relatively harmless. There are other more harmful anecdotes I think uh, associated with promoter. Very specifically, uh, the rumor that you know when they recast Terrence Howard with Don Cheadle because he was cheaper, which is weird that Don Cheadle was cheaper than Terrence Howard but when they did that allegedly Ike Perlmutter said no one would notice because all you know black dudes look the same so I mean this is a person we don't want making any creative controls and maybe he didn't make any creative decisions really maybe he was just about the bottom line I guess, well, I mean, the other, I don't want to downplay this. This is like huge. And when the, you know, book is written on stuff, this is like how the phase two chapter ends, you know, for Marvel. I mean, that in terms of like movies, I guess, but like there'll be a whole chapter on this because this is a restructuring where now. It's a big deal. Yeah. The movies are going to isolate themselves. And I guess in terms of like, it's just in terms of like the past of Marvel, it's hard for me because. Yeah, a lot of the stuff he said is, like, horrible, but, like, he's the type, like, he's who the we elect to, like, office and stuff. It's, like, his type of horrible person where, like, he got the job done and he got paid for it. And yeah, now and now we're done with him. him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so the, you know, to speak directly to the question of, of the television, which which I didn't know until someone brought it up to me on Twitter earlier today, I actually think it's a good thing, honestly, Um 
you know, the I really was relieved that Daredevil was really light on the crossover language. Um, really, really light on it. And I, and I think that allowed it to just grow and be its own thing. And, and, you know, there are a few references to the Battle of New York and that sort of stuff for Captain America, but really, really, really light. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think you and I both agree that it suffers when it, it has to contort itself around the MCU. Um, you know, for every good that a Lady Sif cameo will do or Samuel Jackson cameo will do, there's the bad of, of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. just trying really hard to be something that it's not. And um, I just like it when they leave it alone and let Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. do their own thing and not be like the unofficial lead in to Age of Ultron or something like that. Um, I guess with Agent Carter, it's a, a little tricker, trickier because Haley Atwell is still, for now, in the films. Um, well, but... Agent Carter is a Marvel Studios production. Oh, okay, great. So it's fine. So is Marvel TV only Netflix or is it Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Netflix? Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Netflix. Okay. So Marvel Studios is doing Agent Carter and then... Well, at least they did the first season because it was supposed to be just a miniseries uh, spinoff of, you know, like Captain America. Right, um, right. So I don't... I, at least I, I, as I haven't heard it switching hands, but I'm, if it has, I haven't heard. Okay. So do you agree or disagree with me that it might be actually a better thing for the movies to be separate from the television? Yeah, I think it'll be fine. I think the the thing that would ruin all this is infighting, and I think that Disney's had enough of that in its, you know, world to be like, you know, no playing around, guys. You know, you can't have, you know, John Lasseter, you know, taking pot shots at Pixar with Disney animation. Uh, so they don't. They keep everybody in line, and I think that's going to be a, a stabilizing force here. Uh, as long as the Marvel cinematic universe is making money uh it's going to be able to dictate some things but i think uh kevin feige doesn't necessarily have to be interested in doing that so it's not a a guarantee i think he's you know concerned enough especially since he's the co-producer on sony which now means that kevin feige is the only person with that has ultimate control of the marvel side of spider-man i think because he was the go-between to begin with, and now if he's reporting directly to Alan Horn, then, like, yeah, there's one more layer taking out of, you know, decisions like, you know, where's Spider-Man going to live in Queens, and how old is, you know, or his classmates going to be, and is there going to be a Flash Thompson? So I think he has enough things to worry about on the movie side, and that's obviously why he wanted to get out from under this other layer of control that he feels, you know, he could handle the budget things, and he could hand, he's been handling the PR side of it, and as far as we know, because he's been handling the PR side of it, he's been handling the stars. They all seem to genuinely like Kevin Feige, uh, pr- probably because he hasn't been negotiating their paychecks up until now. But that's, that's still going to be somebody else's job. It's just now Feige's going to be able to have the ultimate say on things. So I think, I mean, the only way I could see this becoming a serious problem is if uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. decides that the only way it could stay alive is to include major things about the Inhumans, and that's part of Feige's uh, plan further on down the road. But otherwise, I think, you know, rising water raises all ships or whatever. I think we're just going to get better or more focused content out of the MCU, but TV will probably remain the same and not have to, uh, I don't know, pander so much. Yeah, I hope so. 
Then again, um, it's hard with stuff like you know Thanos coming to Earth because how do you work around that if you're not? So we'll see. Who knows? The other thing, um, uh, Dan cites over on Gamma Squad, which is Uprox's Up uh, comic book sort of site, wrote a piece. Uh, he is very wary about Disney having control of of Marvel like like that this makes it even more Disney's property than it was before and that's I mean that's kind of the narrative that I was seeing around uh, when I was doing research writing about the Perlmutter stuff is that I, I think the idea with usually with Disney acquisitions Disney is able to make the companies they acquire sort of bend to their will their way and Perlmutter wasn't that he was being sort of obstinately no this is how like this is the Marvel way, and Disney was like, "No, I need you to be the Disney way." Um, you know, that's through various anecdotes that have to do with like everything from the way spreadsheets are formatted to other. You know, there's just a bunch of examples of this of just of just corporate culture. Um, so it, you know, if if part of Disney's goal in this is not just to re- remove this eccentric weirdo who dresses in disguise to go to see Iron Man or whatever. But also just to streamline the culture so that it fits more tidily under their umbrella. Should we be worried about that? I, you know, I like Disney. They're a lot of their products. They scare, they scare me a little. Like coming from D twenty three, it's a little scary. Uh, the cult of Disney is a little scary. But um, you should start collecting pins. Those are I, those are my favorite crazy Disney fans. I, I have I have a pin adventure story that I'll tell you off air one time. But my friend used to work for products in Disney, and so she had a million pins. It's a whole thing. Anyway, um, so you know, my point being, should we be worried about the Disneyfication of Marvel? I'm not, mostly because I mean, and it's so silly to feel this way, but mostly because I really like the way they've handled Lucasfilm. And it's so stupid to say that <laughs> since we haven't seen the movie yet. But nothing has given me pause. Um, so I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about this? I, I, you like Disney even more than I do. So I don't, I don't know why I'm asking you. But I'm yeah, asking you. I think at this point they've figured out what their little formula is. It's uh, this week, you know, we got the Hollywood Reporter brought up the fact that DreamWorks' deal with uh, Disney is ending, but DreamWorks was originally like the follow-up to Pixar for this. Uh, They were supposed to provide six films a year at the initial start of the deal, but then, you know, Disney switched chairmen, and that, you know, sort of fizzled in favor of picking up uh, Marvel and Lucasfilm, which are both, uh, had both sort of uh, made their own brain trusts, but uh, as soon as those got acquired... The brain trust that was mostly focused on like Star Wars, the Clone Wars and the expanded universe and it really sort of feeling each other out within Lucasfilm, like who's still around, who's like really caring about canon, who has like the budget to make new things and like who has stuff that we could still release. Um, They, you know, reached in, grabbed those guys, made them a committee, put Kathleen Kennedy at the top of it, and like, hey, here's this, which is basically what they did with John Lasseter, but they sort of broke him off to also run Disney Animation, and I think uh, Pixar had some growing pains trying to figure out this whole put the creative at the top thing, but really sort of coming from them, uh, bypassing DreamWorks because of weird funding things, and then picking up both with the acquisition of Marvel Studios, who had this creative thing, and Kevin Feige sort of at the top of, or no, creative circle, and Ike Perlmutter at the top of it. 
um, now they got to evolve him out. So it's almost exactly like George Lucas being evolved out of Lucasfilm. He's just yeah. not at the top of the important things anymore. Uh, probably not by choice, but definitely it's time if it wants to grow. And I guess I'm not worried about Disney acquiring these things, sort of making them bad because they could put the most amount of money and commitment into them because they have so many groupings of these things. And they seem thus far to be trying to put a creative bent on it because it's interesting when, like when things get this big, they really want to please you. So it's like you're going to get, you know, it's like having five Willy Wonkas trying to make something for you. <laughs> it's like sometimes it's going to be a disaster, but even when it is, it's sort of like this weird, beautiful disaster. So it's a really exciting time in terms of like storytelling because like, I don't know, the comic books aren't going to go away. So yeah, and I sort of feel that way about Star Wars, even though we haven't seen anything from it yet, but the direction they seem to be going in to sort of make it continuing is really exciting and then definitely it with feels Pixar good. Is it it just feels good. And I'm like I'm actually really sad. I mean, I don't know how often we want to talk about this, but I'm actually really sad that our friend Matt Patches and sometimes co co podcast host Matt Patches is like opting out of the Star Wars ad campaign. I understand why he wants to go in fresh. He might indeed have a better viewing experience of the final movie than I do. But he's denying himself this wonderful ad campaign, which is just like these little Christmases over and over and over again. I just, I, you know, I'm continually delighted. I don't care if that makes me a sucker. I'm enjoying it. So, you know. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's the opiate of the masses, but as long as like, I don't know, Disney is in our government. It's like, oh, look, <laughs> there are five companies that are going to own everything. And yeah, one of them's Disney and yeah, their front face, their forward facing media arm is really visible right now, but it's all, it's all by design. I mean, it is a little weird to when you watch the ABC um, TV fall TV promos, and you've got like the Agents of Shield cast interacting with Muppets, um, and you're just like, Jesus, Disney, oh, yeah, my the Muppets, God, the Muppets. They tried that with the Muppets too, but they didn't have a creative center at the top of it, and they tried to shove Jason Siegel in there, and he didn't want to do it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean. Like, yeah, when you look at, like, ABC, which has Shonda Rhimes, The Muppets, and Marvel, you're just like, Jesus, Jesus Christ, it's too much. All right, anyway, um, so that's a lot of inside baseball, but that's the inside, the big inside baseball World Series that happened this week over at Marvel. Yeah, so. where it's going to affect everything. Yeah, it is going to affect everything. We may not see it right away, you know, as, as uh, Birth Death Movies pointed out. You know, we're probably not going to see it impact birth movies. Death. Birth movies sorry, wow. Uh, it's okay, it's in the order that they happen. Yes. Uh, maybe the afterlife for me is movies. Oh. Oh. Okay. So birth movies, death movies. Yes, birth movies, death movies. Buy that and camp on it. Rinse and repeat. Okay, so um, the uh, their report, you know, pointed out that that we probably won't see it in Civil War. We may not even really see it that much in Doctor Strange, since they're already maybe too far into production. But after that, we 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 might start seeing, you know, and, and we might see it in in. I don't know, product release or something. It's possible. Anyway, um, it will affect you, a uh, gentle moviegoer, <laughs> eventually down the line. Um, okay, well, so it makes a phase four much more likely under Kevin Feige for sure. Because I would have told you for 100% he would quit at the end of his contract. 
But now, if he's, like, at the top of it, I mean, there's some rumors he wants to, you know, take over for Kathleen Kennedy, but that's for it's for another Inside Baseball podcast. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, we can come back to that. Uh, okay, so so we're gonna we're gonna talk about uh, comic book TV really quickly with two bits of casting news. Uh, one is that Tony Todd, who many people know as the Candyman, has been cast as the voice of Zoom on the Flash. Dave, tell us why you were really excited about this. I was just really excited about it. Okay. Like, well, first of all, they were like, Zoom hasn't been cast. And I was like, bullshit, you're just gonna, you're just gonna use Tom Cavanaugh and to like put him in the Zoom suit because it's gonna be some weird timeline thing. But they're not, or maybe they are, but they're gonna try to like keep a lid on it for most of it. They're gonna make him like this mysterious force. Oh, I don't know. It's just like, uh, Flash is not, oh God, not slowing down. Bad Dave's brain. Um, Dave, Dave and I. Dave has made me a promise that we will do a speedster themed episode before the Flash premieres, um, which I think is in early October. Because yeah. um, they've been adding other speedster characters, and it's going to go crazy with dimensions. Yeah, so we're going to try to get a handle on that before it all happens, like like we did with Inhumans before that all happened on Agents of Shield. That was really helpful. So we're we're going to do a speedster, uh, a slow speedster dive at some point uh before october <laughs> the other bit of the other bit of casting news is that theo rossi who played juice on sons of anarchy uh has been cast in luke cage i love theo rossi so much uh sons of anarchy went off the rails the character of juice went off the rails along with everyone else but but before we got there juice is my favorite so I'm really excited about this casting. I'm really psyched about the Netflix shows, even though yeah. everybody seems to be like Iron Fist. Uh, like everything else sounds great. Did we talk about the leaked episode titles for Jessica Jones? No. Oh, it, they sound super noir and cool, and we could probably talk about them when they're official. But yeah, and then one is like Jewel and Power, the Power Man. Oh, and I'm like, oh, they're gonna team up as superheroes, or is that just like their relationship and like flashback? So excited for yeah, if they really are like doing, if everything's as dark as Daredevil, and sort of like it organically grows out of that. Like I think maybe we talked about with the Punisher then, yeah, it's going to be sweet. Awesome. Um, and then we... <laughs> I think we have time for this. I think so. Okay. Um, I'm going to let Dave... <laughs> okay. So, Steven Spielberg gave an interview where he said that superhero movies was a trend, basically a bubble that has to burst a la westerns. And, you know, like, I think he's probably not wrong. No. You know, like, we can't have this many superhero movies forever. Probably. Um, and then Emma Thompson also in a separate interview, you know, said something delightfully Emma Thompson-y about how if she sees another Spider movie, she will have to hang herself because how many times can they reboot this goddamn character? I'm paraphrasing hardcore. Um, but that she is down for <laughs> Wonder Woman. Um, so, you know, this is not the first time that famous people in Hollywood have sort of rolled their eyes or capped on superhero movies in a certain way. I mean, there was a whole big centerpiece about it at the Oscars. Um, a lot of people feel that that's all that Birdman was about. Um, what? How does that make you feel, Dave? <laughs> when famous people you maybe admire 
or not a cap on superhero movies. Well, I mean, in this the Spielberg case, he was asked like about his prediction that big budget, big major bu- budget movies would cause like a Hollywood implosion, and he focused on on superhero movies, which it's more. I, it's just an inaccurate labeling of a grouping of movies. And I think it's when people are talking about uh, things they dislike about superhero movies, it's like you could get down to the smallest part of the Venn diagram of the thing they don't like. And it's not the fact that it's a superhero movie. It's the fact that our mega budget movies have to be so vanilla because in order for them to be mega budget, they have to make a certain profit across different cultures. And so it becomes difficult to do anything with like nuance. And right now superhero movies are in that saddle with Transformers like super effect movies, but these are me- these are mega budget movies, which are the result of like super diversification in like the film industry, both in distribution and the capability of making your own film. So it's like we had a discussion on Fighting in the War Room, my pop culture podcast a while back about like, you know, what is the purpose of a film festival anymore? Because it's like getting into a film festival isn't guaranteeing you anything anymore. And you don't even necessarily need to to get a type of distribution for people to like see all of your movie. And it's just like the film world is changing in a certain way that like pinning it all on superhero movies see, it feels really short-sighted. And I'm not even sure that it is like Westerns because Westerns definitely a genre, but superhero movie is like either a subgenre or like a flavor. Like film noir isn't necessarily a genre that it's like usually applied to like crime movies, but it could be applied to different genres because it's more like a flavor of film. And I think superhero movie might be more like that than it is a genre or a subgenre because you could have a superhero Western or then you're just talking about like is the mono myth coming through and is that person's you know amazing feat and meeting with the wizard actually perceived as magic then you know or does he have I a cape I don't know I don't know I don't know that you can call it a subgenre then isn't it like the like the ur genre or whatever like like above genre because yeah you're right you can have a noir superhero story like jessica jones you could have a superhero western you could have a superhero rom-com you can as you talked about in like the secret wars like you can put any kind of genre into a superhero context right um i mean so it's, it's even like you could put any hero into a genre context so that's why it makes it difficult for me because it's like we're not going to get a spider-man noir movie but that comic exists and i've seen it and i know that like people would like it if it got on screen and it's not peter parker and it's you know there's no uncle ben and it's like different it's a different riff on it but it's like yeah, it's- I mean, and there's and there's superhero movies and there's comic book movies. Like I'm reading this the book Velvet, and as far as I can tell so far, there's no superpower. You know, same with the Black Widow. There's no superpowers here except like extreme limberness when fighting people. And but I was reading, I was like, this would make a great film or a great TV series. And I'm sure I'm actually really sure that that if that comic takes off, it will be turned into a film or a TV series. And Angelina Jolie or someone like that will be in it, you know, just like wanted. But, you know, it has no supernatural element to it at all. New Archie, as far as we know, has no supernatural element to it at all. Um, 
Well, he's so, also with like DreamWorks is making Ghost in the Shell with Scarlett Johansson, supposedly. Right. And it's like, that's not a superhero movie. But how is that different? Than- no, no, but what I was going to say is that reading Velvet, sorry, I, I got distracted, yeah. but reading Velvet, it, it was just like, I, I get that feeling sometimes when I just read a really good novel. And I'm like, oh, this is going to make a really good movie. You know? And so I'm reading, it's just a kind of storytelling with, with more images. And yeah, you know, if you get bogged down in the DC Marvelness of it all, then then it comes down to capes and spandex and that sort of stuff. But um, but comic books are so much more than that. And you know, so so okay, so let's leave the label of comic book movie aside. Then you have to ask the question of what's a superhero movie? Is um, Unbroken? No, not Unbroken. That's the Angelina movie. What's the one? What am I thinking of? With Bruce Willis. Unbreakable. Unbreakable. It's unbreakable superhero movie. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, I think. Right. Um, is uh, what was the one with Will Smith? Um, Hancock. Wild West. No, no Hancock. <laughs> Hancock's a superhero movie too. Um, I, I don't know. It's really hard. It's really hard to nail this down, as you say. It just contains so many multitudes. And 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 we have barely scratched the surface of the weirdness that we can experience. As you know, as everyone is is talking about Doctor Strange is gonna be a horror movie as much as it can be. You know? And so, um I don't know. It's like saying you don't like sci fi almost, isn't it? Well sci fi like, fantasy, but it's like you can't just say sci you know. I'm what they're like, saying is Marvel and DC, right? What they're saying is these rebooting over and over again of Batman and Spider-Man at some point has to slow down in theory. I think that's what they mean with, I think that's what they mean when they say superhero slash comic book movies. Cause otherwise it's too unwieldy for you to aim an arrow at. But if, but even I, I mean, you love Spider-Man, but even I am like, really Spider-Man again so soon. My goodness. I understand the rights behind it. I understand that Spider-Man is one of the most popular characters in the world. I understand all the reasoning behind it. But yeah, it's just sort of like I'm I'm a little tired of this story. Now, thank God we're not getting like the same origin story again, but still it's um I don't know. I mean, I see where they're coming from. It's just I think that uh, they're both from outdated views of what like the I don't know, the what the movie climate is now. So it's, uh, I don't know, it, with everything, if like, if you want to tell like a nuanced, detailed, long form story, you are somebody who does, you know, already is super famous, like Steven Spielberg, or you do a one for them, one for us, or you, you know, get pulled out after your first indie and given like your God franchise, like Colin Trevorrow, and it's like, someone's going to make a Jurassic Park 4, shouldn't it be me so I could, you know, try to make it the best Jurassic Park 4 I'd want as a fan? And it's like, those are all mega-budget movies. That's the world that we live in now. There's there's going to be whatever the in-genre is, and now it's like uh, unified universe movies because they're, you know, even more powerful than sequels because they could be more original, but then also depend on you buying more product. So it's like, that's kind of rising. And this is all economics, and that is affecting how the stories can be, which is what he's... To what both of them are taking, uh, you know, objection to, which is just it's the evolution of how film is is being 
consumed uh, worldwide. So it's like, it's even weird. I'm much more sympathetic to Emma Thompson. who's like, not Spider-Man again. Because yes, not Spider-Man again. But like just the idea that like in a question that's asked about the overabundance of uh, like mega budget movies to be like, well, superhero movies are going to go away like the Western. It's like, that's not the question. Are like mega budget movies going to cause Hollywood to implode? It has nothing to do with like a genre. Superhero movies are just like the one that was at the forefront. In that sense, he's right. Superhero movies are going to go out like the Western. But like we had a Western revival like seven years ago for one summer. And it's like, that's, yeah, <laughs> those were also big budget movies at the time. So, yeah, I don't know. And it's, it was, it was a weird, I think a lot of the coverage of those quotes felt like uh, places that people could take out their frustration with, like, especially like the rebooting of Spider-Man. Every time that's brought up, people who like really don't like the specific genre or super genre of movies is like, yeah, and they were on like so many Spider-Mans. Like the first Spider-Man wasn't even alive when the first Spider-Man came out. And it's like, we've already rebooted him so many times. And like all valid complaints, but you know, as a dramatist, there's only like six stories anyway, and you're just putting variants on top of that. So there has to be some sort of business reason they think they could only tell this story. And eventually, one Spider-Man is going to be the one that doesn't have to abide by that. We just got to keep pushing through the Spider-Man because not, <laughs> no Spider-Man is not an option. <laughs> we just got to keep pushing through the Spider-Man because no Spider-Man is not an option. Great. Yep. Dave Gonzalez. Put it on your tombstone. Um, all right. After birth, movies, death. And then more Spider-Man more movies. More Spider-Man movies. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, yeah. That was good. That was a good uh, back and forth about that, I think. Um, I think that might be all we have time for today. I think. Yeah, I'm angry. I'm angry at Hollywood. You, well, you guys respect. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand on your lawn. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna poop on it. I'm gonna poop on your lawn oh, from no. my little podcast. <laughs> you, you come down to my level. I'm the one standing in line for all these things. <laughs> Hashtag Force Friday. Hashtag unboxing. Um, yeah, that this was maybe our most inside baseball podcast ever, probably. Talking yeah, about they, super super franchises and uh, mysterious CEOs that no one's heard of. We really leaned on the comic adjacent part of this yeah, culture podcast, yeah. but we also we read a bunch of comics. We talked about them anyway. Check out those comments, some of those comics that we mentioned, uh, or shoot us an email, uh, bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com if, if you've read any of them and you like them. If you have other recommendations that you think we'd like, I really really value. Every time you recommend something, except for you, Pat, with Planetary. I'm just kidding. I will get to it. Um, but, yeah, I, I really do value those. Uh, next up for me is I'm looking to read Nail Biters, Southern Bastards, and Witches with a Y. So that's on my list, to-read list, all image comics. So Ooh, I'm, nice. I'm really into image right now. So. Dave, where can people find your work until we talk about comic books next week? Uh, you could find me at geek.com, Forbes.com, Latino-Review.com, and on Twitter at DA70 and other podcasts at fightinginthewarroom.com. 
I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me at VanityFair.com. Uh, I think both Dave and I wrote about this Marvel shakeup uh, this week. So you can find our thoughts on our respective sites. Or you can follow me on Twitter at JoeWroteThis. Um, that is it for us this week. We will see you next time. Bye! Lay it, lay it down. Let me see your hand. Show me what you got. You're always talking, but you're not playing. It doesn't match your face. Gotta find my way away from this place. Can you take me now? I, I want it.